Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to this episode of the Ace of Spade podcast, hosted by our boy right here, Anthony Spade. And on today's episode, I am joined by none other than IFBB Pro, John Jewett. On today's episode, we chat about John's journey, um, straight up from powerlifter to IFBB Pro, stepping on the pro stage, um, finding purpose after his pro pro win, his first pro win. Um, we also talk about his biggest challenges, especially from you know, going from fourth in the Olympia in 2019 to going to 13th in 2020. Um, so really take a deep dive into John's background, into his story, into his journey. Um, and then we will have him back on, of course, getting some of the nerd talk into it. But we hope you guys enjoy this episode. As you guys know, the podcast is brought to you by Morphogen Nutrition. You guys can use code SPADA for 10% off all supplements. They did just come out with new new rendition of Morphocom. Um, I've taken it for the past few days. I absolutely love it. Um, they also came out with a new version of Alphagen. I've yet to try it, but man, that 10 grams of tyrosine looks freaking phenomenal. Um, so go check it out. Go use code SPADE and support your boy. Um, other than that, if you guys enjoy this episode, please subscribe. Um, leave a five-star rating. Leave a review. Uh, share it on your Instagram story. Tag John and I. And yeah, so let's get to the episode. Let's welcome on John Jewett. Probably my biggest guest probably to ever come on the show. I mean, it just makes sense. I think this is episode 190 or 189. I forget. We're very far into this at this point. So it just makes sense that each guest keeps getting better and better. Um, I met John down at the PEC just just about two and a half, three weeks ago. Um, we had an awesome conversation, hit it off, um, and he gladly accepted to come on my show. Uh, so uh, John, welcome to the Ace of Spada podcast. Um, I just want to give yourself an introduction to who you are. I mean, I assume most people who are listening to my health and fitness podcast know who you are, but give yourself a nice little introduction. Well, well, it's very kind of you to uh, think that they all might know me, but, um, <laughs> you know, first off, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. You know, it's, I started off in this as just a guy that liked to train. And so I listened to podcasts or interviews and, uh, now to be the one on the other side of it, being requested to speak, it's always an honor. But if you don't know who I am, um, I'm a IFBB 212 pro. Um, I've been a pro bodybuilder since 2016 is where I turned pro. The, I won the heavyweights at the USA Championship and has, have been a, a pro since. And um, now I've competed at the Olympia for three years in a row with the best placing of, of fourth place. Um, that's kind of my competitive side in bodybuilding. I've powerlifted for a long time before that, since I was 16. So I've just been lifting, competing in the iron game for a long time. Uh, also, um, re relatively, uh, I'm kind of nerdy, I guess. I, <laughs> I, I um, yeah, my bachelor's exercise science, my master's in nutrition. I'm a registered dietitian and I've just uh, continued to pursue education as a forever student. And has led to like me developing J3 University, which is kind of my my own university course in how to be a physique competitor and coach people to do it. So that's uh, kind of me and me in a nutshell. Um, I'm a meathead, but I'm also like a bookworm at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wanted to. I kind of wanted to ask, um, how did you how did you get into like registered like you wanted to become a registered dietitian? Like, was that like a course like you knew? exactly like right when you were kind of younger that you wanted to go into nutrition or was it just like a oh kind of you fell in love with it as you were in school and then it kind of just developed that way um well it was kind of a slow slow progression I guess it was yeah. uh in in high school I I powerlifted and I was always wanted to be bigger because I was never the 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 big guy in school. Yeah. And, uh, so I was always looking for what, what I need to eat. I, obviously I knew I had to eat and consume a lot of food, but, um, I would go to like the local GNC and, and ask those guys. And, uh, I finally came ac across a guy. He was actually a cage fighter. Um, but he also bodybuilded as well. And he, at time claimed he was a dietitian, but looking back, he <laughs> definitely wasn't. Um, but that was the first time I ever even heard that term. Yep. And he, he <laughs> at the time he said he studied nutrition. I was like, okay, there's this nutrition. You can actually study this in like a university. That's, that's cool. And he kind of gave me this, it looked like a real bodybuilder diet. It was very, 
it, it was extreme. I, it was a terrible diet. It was like 500. It was literally 500 grams of protein. Um, <laughs> I had no clue. I was in high school. And so I tried to eat it and it was just, there's, there was no way I was working, you know, waiting tables after school. And there's no way I could sit there and eat like this trough of food. But that was kind of my first exposure to like, here's someone that can give you a diet, not the right person, <laughs> but, <laughs> but none, nonetheless, that was my exposure to it. And I, I, I really fell in love with that part of it because it was more intricate than to me at the time, the training piece. And, uh, you, everyone kind of knew something about training, but the diet side was a little bit more complex. Um, so getting in, getting into like going to uh, university, I didn't, there wasn't nutrition at the university where I was at. Yeah. Um, it was, there was a private university, but it was so expensive. And then looking at the coursework too, it was like focusing on, um, you know, community nutrition, uh, clinical, clinical nutrition. And, um, that just wasn't, I was in no interest in that it had nothing to do with exercise. Like, I don't want to do that. So I just pursued like exercise science and then coming out of that degree again, the, this whole time through powerlifting, I still had my Excel spreadsheet documenting all my nutrition, doing it almost like a bodybuilder. Yeah. But I powerlifted. Um, so coming out of that degree, it's like, well, there's, you know, you can go be a personal trainer or you, you can maybe teach. I'm like, these are all terrible options. And a lot of these jobs are like jobs. Like I didn't need a bachelor's degree to do I'm like, well, this doesn't have like the greatest trajectory. I think I needed something more stable. And so nutrition was always in the back of my mind. So I'm like, Oh, you know what? I could, I could get an RD, um, get my master's in nutrition. I could always work in the hospital and clinical setting it gives me good stability but then maybe I can kind of tweak this and cater it to like being like exercise related at the same time. Maybe I could get into like clinical dietetics or, or sport dietetics and work with teams. Um, and so that's kind of how I transitioned into that route. So it was kind of like the discouragement at the end of my exercise science degree of like <laughs> not having like the most promising job aspect. Um, and uh, another interesting thing too, was I did a 360 hour practicum. Okay. at the end of my bachelor's and I, I did it with an online coach, um, Shelby Starnes. Okay. And he was, I was kind of introduced through troponin nutrition at, that was what Shelby worked with at the time with Justin Harris as the owner then. And they were doing some articles through elite FTS with, uh, with Dave Tate and the powerlifting crowd. And so this was like this nutrition aspect that kind of a bodybuilder's transition into that world that I was really reading a lot on on the time. And so that was kind of my first time, like of guys that were talking about nutrition and bodybuilding were to me, Shelby Starnes and, and Justin Harris. So that's kind of, Hey, you coach people online on nutrition. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is what I want to do. And so that was kind of when I did work with them a little bit to see that there, Hey, there are jobs out there that, that, that this is what to do. It's just hard to break into that at the time, but getting the RD was kind of like the stability that I, I wanted out of chasing that job, job track. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because you kind of look at the careers that you had from, um, like looking at just the bachelor's in exercise science and you're like, Oh, I could either personal train or I could teach. And you kind of do a little bit of both now. Like when you kind of think about it in your own way, like you, know, right? and then you also <laughs> now have like your J3, which you like teach through, of course you made all those videos, but now it's like you're a teacher in all aspects when it comes down to it. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, how you were like, Oh, there's this instability. And then you made that stable by adding to it. And you just end up recircling back to that. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough to jump into the field of yeah. like, Hey, I'm just going to pursue this, this coaching aspect and build it. It's like, I, I've always been a more conservative in my, my risk taking. So it's like, I need to build like the stable income and then maybe pursue that on the outside which it makes it maybe a longer track, um, but it came to be what it needed to be. Um, looking back, I, you know, I, I think I would have, knowing that you don't need an RD to do what we do to, for online coaching, I probably would have done maybe my master's in like some combo exercise, phys, nutrition, and traveled to some school where they really study physique competitors. Um, at the time though, relationship wise, I had to be, I was staying in San Antonio and that was kind of my limitation. 
So I was just working with what I had to try to try to make do. But if I really like, Hey, if it was like, you could go anywhere, John and and study and learn, it's like, yeah, I'd probably just pursue harder down into the masters of exercise, fizz, nutrition combo, and then just break into coaching from there. But Hey, no regrets. I'm here uh, doing what I love. So (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm taking this like 10 year school track. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I'm taking the slow route, right? Like I'm doing what you exactly do. Like I have a job on full time and then coaching is like on the side working, building that up. Um, And I mean, if I could go back to, I probably would have chose something like exercise science or something different, like just thinking about it because my major is like intelligence analytics, which is like completely a full different sector (laughs) of work compared to what coaching actually is. Um, But I think you're right where, you know, I find for coaching, you don't really need, you don't really need the degree, right? It's great to have the degree in all of its sense, but as long as you kind of have the passion, you keep learning and you keep kind of investing in your yeah. stuff, you're going to, you're going to become good at it in the end. Um, that's why I find. So, and I mean, it's just held true. I probably spent more money. I probably could have gone to college for another year with how much money I spent last year in education, but it's okay. Um, but it's all worth it uh, because my clients continue to get better. Um, so I think that's, Man, you, you probably gained more in that past year than you ever would have gained from college. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah. People, people come to me now for advice and I'm like, damn, I was like, I'm kind of like a teacher at this point. And it's like, and that's pretty cool um, to kind of have other coaches come to you for like to bounce ideas off of, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I kind of want to go into that power lifter thing too. So you started out with the huge power lifting um, yeah. and then how did you transition from powerlifting? Like what made you transition from powerlifting into, into bodybuilding? Uh, I always had an interest in bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. My, my, my neighbor, when I was, since I was born until, uh, until I moved, I was eight. Um, the neighbor that we were in a duplex. So it's like combined two houses, basically. Yep. Um, uh, the, the guy that lived next to us, he, he bodybuilt not competitively, but like pretty dedicated lifestyle wise. Um, and he had all these old like Iron Man magazines. And uh, I would go over there and, and look at these magazines. And it was just like, uh, it, just so interested in it. And he took me to the gym when I was like five. I didn't stay <laughs> in the gym. He just like brought me to my first like gym experience when I was five. And, and it was awesome. I thought, I thought it was so cool. I thought he was so cool. It was just a big influence on me growing up. So that was always in my mind. And then of course I grew up in like the late eighties, early nineties. So it was like muscle era, right? Arnold yeah. Stallone. So it was like just this, a lot of influence around muscle around me. Um, and so when I got into like lifting, the idea at the time was like kind of what you first like, Hey, I just want to, I just want to look, look bigger and um, be strong. Cause everyone's starting to lift at school. So you're getting like really competitive with who's yeah. benching the most. And so it was a uh, kind of a lower level of motivation to do it at, at the time, high motivation, but just a lower level of meeting with the needs. Um, and so I, I was kind of had a knack for being strong. I was just naturally strong. Like in our, our, our football freshman year, like I was, I think I was the, the second strongest bench press, but the guy that beat me was like 80 pounds heavier than me in a lineman. <laughs> I was a yeah. safety. And so um, I realized that there was some like a competition outlet for that in some of these other schools around Texas, not in my school, we just had football. Uh, so that's when I kind of looked into finding some guys that I could actually power lift with, but the, the whole time was like, oh, if I get strong, I'm going to be really big. And, and, and it didn't work out quite that way. Like um, <laughs> I, I was, I got big, but usually people would guess like that I was in the weight class below. Yeah. I, I remember like it sucked. I was at a powerlifting meet and I was competing in the, the 198 class. And this guy, like I, we crossed paths. He's like, Hey, you know, the common things. And he's like, Oh yeah. What are you? Well, 181. I'm like, man no i'm a 198 i'm literally like 20 pounds heavier than that and so it was was like discouraging like you don't you don't look as uh as as big as what you actually weighed and so all said and done it short long story short um i kind of got i got really strong i beat a lot had some world records and i kept beating myself um and then i got a little stagnant in it and Mm -hmm. i just got bored with it honestly uh, and I, I wanted to get back into pursuing, like just looking the part in bodybuilding and competing that, um, especially as I got more into nutrition in school 
And I, I just really wanted to tinker more in, in that aspect too. So that just really kind of pushed me into it. Always having an interest in looking that part. Now you look at me now and people be like, wow, are you like 270? And like, no, I'm like 250. And so they actually think you're heavier than you really are. Now it's like, okay, when, but I'm way, I'm way weaker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Like, man, you must be benching 700 pounds. Like, no way. No. <laughs> so yeah, that made, that made that tra- transition. That was, um, I was like 25 when I stopped yeah. powerlifting. Yeah. Fine. I actually find, cause we have a few powerlifters that transition to bodybuilding at our gym. And they're kind of young. Um, and one's like two years younger than me, but he's like, we moved him over to like hypertrophy phase and he's just like blowing up. And I realized <laughs> like, it's a lot, it actually, while, while you kind of go, Oh, I'm kind of weaker now it transitions over. I find fairly well compared to it. I find that they just have a great amount of like stability with their lifts and things like that, that it ends up like they're able to just contract muscles like way better for like, I don't know why, but he just responds absolutely crazy compared to, compared to where he was. And I, and I don't know if it's from the power lifter, but we're like, he's really strong. And we're like, yep, that's definitely from the power. We're like, you're naturally strong. Stick, stick to that, please. <laughs> we're like, don't embarrass us <laughs> when he comes into the gym. He's like gigantic. We're like, oh, you're younger than us. Fuck. <laughs> that's where we're I at. I think, man, it, he, I mean, with doing those lifts, you, the, the stability component that you develop, through that, like to be able to, like, I was just talking about this cause I was, um, I've been struggling a lot with my squat cause I got away from doing a lot of free weight movements for a long period of time. Then, yep. then going back to them, you look, I feel like I'm like Bambi, like walking out some a squat weight, you know? Um, but I've been doing it. And now when I do jump onto like, say like the pendulum squat or hack squat, it's like, man, I'm locked in and feel so braced. Like my output on those is way higher. Um, now that's just from a, you know, strength aspect. Does you give you more runway for hypertrophy? Probably so just because I think you won't run into like weak links happening later on, you know, because what, what stopped me from squatting was injuries. And so then I go to a hack squat and that kind of solves some of the problem by having some external stability. But once I got up to a high enough force output, the same problem happened. So it's kind of like hiding problems until they happen again. And then, then you're really screwed. Cause then you have nowhere to go. So, um, but, but for the, yeah, for this guy, uh, yeah, you move into those hypertrophy rep ranges, like, yeah, you can blow up. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I find, you know, it's really funny that you kind of said that where you talk about like your instabilities or your weaknesses or things that happen, like when you get injuries, I find that that's everything like in turn, like everyone wants to look for like a supplement or some, or some sort of different exercise that doesn't like like of course with training, you're doing it so often that of course switching out and exercise will probably help. But it's like a band aid or anything with like hormones. It's like doing a supplement. It's like a band aid. It's like you're not actually finding like the root cause of things and fixing it. Because um, especially with dealing with more hormonal cases myself, with all like hormonal birth control cases and things like that, there's a lot of there's a lot of band aids being put on and not a lot of root causes being fixed. And it ends up taking way longer just from that aspect when it comes down to it. So. I think that's a good point that you made when it comes down to, you know, they will come back no matter how hard you try to disguise them. The bandaid will eventually rip off and you'll be exposed to it. Um, Yeah. It's it's stuff that guys don't really want to address. It's, it's, it's a, you have to have a higher level of thinking and and digging into those whys. It it really does pay it off because for me, like I end up having some pretty bad like tears in my quads, not my, my, my rec fem specifically. And uh, it, doesn't quite hinder me however like i know guys that have had some bad injuries and it really does hinder them so at at the time it seems like a good choice just hey just swap out to what doesn't hurt and you need to you need to have those but always go back to like touch home base on the technical movements and have the ability to do them um at least now like hey if i want to optimize hypertrophy cool i can have these like more externally braced movements but i still need some some movements that really challenge the the stability component. So maybe having some of that single leg work in unilateral that where you have to like balance, like a, I have like, for instance, I have a single leg RDL in there right now. So mm-hmm. is I, I, otherwise I'm like wobbly as, as hell if, if not. So um, yeah, I think there's a balance in your routines and having to like really think it out a little bit more. And uh, but I think it pays off long, long run for you. Now in that, just kind of down the sector and then we'll re- go back to your kind of past um, when you, 
when you're looking at like those things with clients, like those issues and those band-aids type things, um, are you looking at the mobility within the person and like giving and like trying to fix the mobility issues that you, cause usually what I find is it's a lot of mobility issue rather than just like a, t- like, like you kind of made a good post actually the other day talking about like tight muscles where it's like, oh, you yeah. can go and get like massages done and things like that, but it only goes so far. Like, sure, you yeah. do, do you address it with mobility exercises, et cetera, when you're trying to like fix these sort of stability issues when it, for clients? Yeah. So I guess with, with seeing that, like if there's a complaint of like, Hey, this hurts, or I stopped doing lift this lift because of this, uh, it's taking back. Well, let's see how that lift looks. So maybe it is just an execution aspect mm-hmm. and a setup aspect. Maybe it was just inappropriate lift choice. You know, maybe, maybe they have a, a, a really long femur. They're a tall guy maybe. And they're doing a back squat. You're like, Oh yeah, this hurts my back. Well, yeah, that figures. Maybe we, should do a, uh, this is an extreme, maybe a front squat and a heel elevation or something. And that kind of like puts it in a position that's better for them. So, so maybe it's, it is just like an exercise choice. Maybe it's a cueing thing. Like they've just been given the wrong cues in a, in a movement too. Um, you know, a lot of times and like for a squat, it's like, Hey, chest up and people pull their chest up and then they're also their pelvis anteriorly tilts at the same time. It's like, man, I just feel it in my back. Like, Oh yeah, this is probably why. Um, and so maybe it's those aspects, but, and, and other times when pain is cropping up, if it's, you have to challenge, whether it's mobility or probably dysfunction. Um, cause a lot of people might have the actual mobility, but they just mm-hmm. might have not have control within that range. So a lot, and it's a lot of times for me, like I might be able to only move my arm up so high, but if I relax, someone else might be passively able to take me higher. So the mobility is there, but I don't have the ability Mm -hmm. to hold it in those end range positions and definitely not to be stable in those end range positions. So I think that's when you start finding dysfunction within in ranges of movements. And and that's where a lot of problems can, can, can lay for a lot of people. So usually if I say, okay, what's this movement you're having problem with? It's like a squat. Well, let's move you to a more complex movement to challenge you first. So then we'll go to like, try to do a single leg squat or single leg Bulgarian squat and and see if they like are favoring one side um, or you're seeing some rotation of like the, of the back leg that shouldn't be happening. So that's my say, okay, you're lacking some internal rotation on this side. And so then I can kind of break down of what I see and give them some further test of like, Hey, film, film deuce doing like, an internal rotation of one leg and the other. And let me see if there's a difference in discrepancy. Um, let I'll do some ankle mobility testing, see how those, how you, how you move. And if there, maybe it's a limitation dorsiflexion. So yeah, I'll, I'll do some tests of mobility. I'll have them film, but mm-hmm. also try to do some like function aspects to see them like, Hey, let's load a single leg pattern and see if like maybe one leg you fall over the other one you feel more stable in. Yeah. Then if we find that issue, then we, we train that with the most basic thing and then progressing them back into a really complex pattern. And then a lot of times that can fix it. So in a lot of bodybuilding movements that we have, like usually for like lower body movements, people are, are lacking lateral stability and internal rotation in the hip. Then for pressing movements, usually people are lacking external rotation and an ability to stabilize the, the scapula. So it's, it's addressing a lot of that. A lot of it now I just put in as prehab work, like a set thing that I go to. It's like, cause I just see it so reoccurring. That's like, let's always do these aspects, but then let's address and t- cater it to some like personalized things that might be cropping up when we do an initial assessment. It's hard. It's hard over the, over the, you know, for online clients though, you, you have, you're kind of limited. So yeah, if I can find someone in their area, like um, I, I like the uh, FRS and uh, model. Um, if someone like maybe that's certified in that could get, you know, get them to someone that could do actually do an in-person assessment. That would be really helpful, but yeah. So I, yes, yeah. <laughs> I've started, I've started, I've started using more single leg movements after going through your university. I've been trying to do that more. And it's very easy to see if someone it's very yeah. easy now to actually see if someone has that like imbalance or that, or that internal stability to actually complete that movement. Correct. And then you kind of work backwards. Like for someone I had to doing like a Smith squat and like, I realized they don't have, they need to work on their ankle mobility to actually mm. move the knee forward. And I was like, okay, let's start with like a stationary lunge where we, 
literally just focus like a heel elevated stationary lunge where we just focus in on there and then we'll build up from that point right where you build up to like a split squat and then you move up to like a full-on squat um and get them and get them working again um and that's what someone actually asked the client actually asked that myself and i was like yeah we've got to start from the base down and build you back up to the point where you now can actually hit that ankle you can get that you can get the necessary uh ankle flexion that you actually need um to complete a well proper smith squat to attack the quads um but kind of get back to kind of get back to the whole the whole thing um so uh tickets i guess you could kind of sum this up real quick uh how long did it actually take you to go from you know getting into bodybuilding to ifbb pro uh yeah so that was four years four years yeah how many how many shows did you do in between in those four years did five shows okay yeah what was what was probably the hardest part of the amateur of the amateur journey for you um per se i mean five shows is pretty i feel like it's not it's not too long but it's also not too short when it comes down to turning pro uh so what was kind of at least like some of the most memorable part of actually like during that amateur phase yeah um the first three years i coached myself Okay. And so that was definitely uh, a, a, a beneficial and not beneficial at the same time. Like it, I think if I had a coach, I would have moved so much faster. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I learned a lot of valuable skills and it just made me have to like really dig into learning everything I could to apply it to myself. And also I, I'm, I'm my own accountability partner right so if i'm cheating on anything it's only hurting myself it's not like i can hey i'm gonna skimp on this and then my coach will deal with it it's like i'm the one dealing with it so it's uh it 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 definitely held me to a high accountability level um and put a lot of pressure on me and i think that was part of the negative too is i did put a lot of pressure on myself and being early on and competing Oh man, I, I never felt that level of hunger or fatigue. And so to deal with those emotions and trying to make non-emotional decisions in, in prep coaching myself was, it was, it was pretty taxing. My first prep was, was really hard more uh, mentally do that. And then also even relationship wise, like people around me, they suffered right along with me too. So I think having a coach, it would have taken a lot of stress off me, which would have been really beneficial. Um, but at the same time, I, I liked, I liked the, uh, the, the pressure to do it too. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of a balance. Even coaching myself now, there's like, there's always a pressure there that I like. Um, but, uh, you know, even that, like with those first amateur shows, I, I kind of, I kind of held myself back to a little bit just because um, I didn't have another eye to see the potential. So I kind of always second guess myself and like, what do I, do I really have a shot at this? Yeah. And man, I just hope I'm not last place. And that was kind of like my mindset to this. So I, uh, I just could have had someone there to like push me a little bit farther than what I could have. Like, I remember my first show, I was going to do this local show and I had this, bodybuilder that i knew he's like don't even do this local show he's like you need to go straight to the texas state like like that's that's where you should be at because he he saw something in me i was like no i'm gonna do this local show (laughs) start small you know work your way up and and it was great because i you know i i won my local show i i won the novice overall i nearly won the open overall It it was close with the with the heavyweight um, and so that was a huge confidence. So it was, it was, a, it was a good thing, but at the same time, like it, it, I probably would have progressed faster getting pushed to a show where like at that time, this was 2013, mm-hmm. man, like our, our Texas state show, like you, like the three guys that were in the top five of that show turned pro yeah. later yeah. on. Like they, it was like, these were guys that were trying to get that national circuit qualification and go back. So it wasn't like it is now where you might go a show in the top five. Maybe you have one guy that's like, Oh wow. Stand out. Maybe um, these were legit. So it would have been cool to stand like at that level and realize like, Hey, you're not the number one right off the bat. <laughs> it's like, here's what you got to do. 
Yeah. But um, either way, it lit me on fire. And, and so uh, it, uh, I loved the whole process. Absolutely loved it. So it still really drove me up. And it wasn't until I was doing my, my fourth show, which is going to be the 2015 um, USA's that I actually was like, man, I don't, I don't want the stress of this. I need to be at a higher level. I need someone. And that's when I, when I got like uh, my first coach would be Matt Jansen um, to kind of lead and, and take, take the reins the rest of the way. Yeah. And then what was it like when you turned pro? Like, what was that feeling when you, when you got that pro card, like that, I like when you got that IFBB, I always like to ask this, I have a few pros on here. I always ask the same one. Like, what was that feeling like when you, when you finally got that pro card? It's, uh, it, it is kind of hard to describe, like in that, in that moment, there's a lot of emotion that's attached to it because mm-hmm. I mean, although my journey in bodybuilding was kind of shorter for a pro card, you know, four, four-ish years, uh, there's still like a lot of emotion development that comes along that way. And at that point, you know, I, I told you earlier, like training initially was just about like, kind of looking good, like lower level of needs, but pursuing the, the pro card became more of this, like you're seeing this, this greater purpose for yourself and fuller development of yourself as an individual. And uh, even going like, on the, on the prep for that pro card, like there's a lot of outside bodybuilding relationship stuff going on in my life that really bodybuilding was kind of the only thing I had to really focus on. That was, that was kind of positive at the time, at least in my mind. Yep. Um, yep. So getting the pro card, it was a, a rush of relief almost um, because not getting it, it only left kind of this negative stuff that I had going on. Um, so for one, it was, it was, uh, this rush of kind of relief. Um, also this satisfaction and knowing that you, you have, you have what it takes and, uh, and seeing that all come into one moment, all these years, it's overwhelming. It's yeah. overwhelming. That's all you can really, really say about it. Um, it's, uh, it's an, amazing feeling <laughs> would you say would you say that 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 feeling of like purpose and things was that something that evaded you for like a long time though even before like even before the bodybuilding like when you're kind of like 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 kind of self-doubt and a lot of things like i see a lot of people like my age and everything kind of talk about it like or any good coach like we always doubt ourselves into what we can do and, and it takes usually an external an external thing like for you would be the pro card to finally figure out like hey i could do this um was that self-doubt and that like meaning for like finding that meaning and purpose in life? Was that something that was abating you like even beforehand? There was always something there. Like I pursued all this for a reason. Like there was a passion and love for it. Like even in high school, like people would ask me questions about what I was doing because I was getting results and I was strong. So you're kind of like that guy to go ask, right? Yeah. Um, and to help those people and answer those questions, um, I, I felt some level of like, you know, satisfaction out of it. And I liked helping, helping them. So there was always something there as far as like the education side, mm-hmm. um, fulfilling that purpose. And, and I think that was, that's always been my greatest purpose out of, out of it all. Um, but I, I think it just took a lot of maturity along the way to realize to stop undershooting myself. And I, I honestly, it wasn't even the pro card that I would say would let me see that there was potential beyond what I could realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause people around me were recognizing it, like my coach and what could happen. And I still kind of, kind of had, had doubted, doubted myself and all this. And yeah. really it wasn't until I think uh, winning my first pro show where I'm like, the sky's the limit. And that's really, I think, what just turned turned the switch for me mentally. Um, education wise, like that's a little different. That switch kind of got flipped when I was in school, and yep. I took physics, and I was like, <laughs> he was like, eighty percent of the class will fail. I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> like, okay. And I got an A in that class. I was like, man, I get A in physics. Like yes. I can, I can do anything. <laughs> Like I can study anything. I can learn anything. So, um, that was like that education wise for me. Yeah. Um, but, but in bodybuilding, yeah, it was probably not until I actually won a pro show where I'm like, damn, okay. Like I, I I can win the Olympia. Like why not? Like 
put it up high, put the goal high. So, yeah. yeah Cause I find a lot of people, a lot of people don't know how far they can go until yeah. they actually, I, like until they do it. Right. Like it's like more of a, I feel like it fuels the fire. Right. In, in a way, like kind of just like, Oh, I don't know what I can do, but I bet you were kind of excited for it. Like when you won, when you kind of won your first pro car or your first pro show, I bet you were like, you got this whole rush of like, like energy and like, like goodness in you because you were like, fuck yeah. Now I can, now I think now you get all these good positive thoughts. And I bet that's why you've also progressed so much since your first pro show win because of, because of that, like that mind flip switch in your head type thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, definitely it was, and that, that, and then also um, probably coaching myself for my first show yeah. was another one too. Yeah. It's like, I got this. And, and so like I, from a, some a self-coaching aspect, you know, that was there too. And I, you know, I think we always, I even a lot of clients that I coach too, they're a lot of, we all want to know what our potential is. And we, how, do you, how can you even tell that to someone? You can't really. I mean, I know we could take some like best realistic educated guesses, but I mean, if, if you would look back on some of my starting picks, I'm sure there'd be people that would say like, you know, no way this guy can get to Olympia. Or even when I turned pro, there was people that said, oh, you'll never do anything as a pro. Um, and so I, I never try to, I try to encourage people, but I'm never going to say like, this is your limit because I've seen amazing things happen to people. Yeah. And I know that that unknown is frustrating for a lot of people and you kind of want to know where you can be at, but I just say like, is it going to change what you're going to pursue? You know, if I'd said, Hey, Anthony, you're only going to gain, you know, five pounds of muscle in the next 10 years. You're like, nice. oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck. This is terrible, John. Uh, are you going to quit lifting? It's like, well, I love it. No, this is what I do. Cause I love it. It's like, okay, well me telling you what your potential is, doesn't change what you're doing anyway. So just, just keep doing what you love and the outcome will be the outcome. Um, I think that's a bad part about chasing. I feel like that's a bad part about chasing the pro card, right? I think that's what most people get their head stuck in, right? Is they chase the pro card. Yeah. Like this is the potential. Right. And I, I actually found like, I've talked about it with multiple other clients. I hate when people use the word potential uh, (laughs) just because I think it's like you, like you said, it kind of takes away from what you're actually like, what you're passionate about, like, which is usually like the lifting and the eating and actually doing like living the bodybuilding lifestyle is usually what you're kind of passionate and love about it. And yeah. it makes it and makes it into, turns it into more of a job rather than an actual passion. And I find that's when people get burned out with bodybuilding or even fitness in general, is we see a lot of people talk about like potential and how these people never lived up to it. Whereas they kind of crashed because so many people around them told them they had so much potential and it ended up like burning them out into, cause, cause it's just like the pressure from that. Yeah, you know, I, I like the Manslow's hierarchy of needs, looking at, you know, basic human needs, motivation for those needs and moving up into the, the like purpose and this greater travel to be your best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And if we move down that hierarchy of needs, it gets down to like status or, you know, even relationships with people or, or what people think about you. And if you stay on that like outcome basis of, Hey, this is a pro card. I get this much muscle and this much recognition. Um, it, it's really a, a lower level of motivation. Those people just don't last because they haven't moved up to that next level of, of on the, on the hierarchy of needs of just trying to do the daily thing of to be the best version of yourself. And when you're doing that, it's satisfying and it makes you grow in all areas. And that's what really is going to let you see out. Mm-hmm what you should be becoming. Yeah. We won't say potential, but potential. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think, and I think no one even thought about what your, I guess like your potential would be when you ended up placing like fourth at the Olympia, right. When you were doubted so much, like, can you go through that? Can you go through that prep um, and kind of be like, what did you learn from that experience too? When you ended up showing up and probably one of your best looks ever, right. And hitting fourth at the Olympia stage, like, like, what was that like getting in that top five, like that first call out within the 212? Yeah, I mean, just, uh, I mean, that year was really my test of like, I either have this or I don't. Because mm-hmm. um, I had been like a kind of a fifth place 212 guy. And that's like, I, I 
took off a year to really change. And I really did make some big changes yep. in my, my waistline, my back. Um, and so getting at one of the Chicago pro got third. I'm like, Hey, this is, this is better placing. You can't compare placing wise, but my physique was better mm-hmm. for sure. And, and so I made improvements winning Tampa was like, I did it. Like I, I won a pro show. Like this is, uh, this is what I wanted to accomplish for the year. And like, Oh, you're also going to the Olympia. It's like pff, squirt on the frosting, like on that cake. It's like, this is even better, you know? Um, so going to the Olympia, hell, just walking on that stage is the accomplishment. I don't care if you're last or not, like you had to win or qualify somehow at a very, very high level with great people. And that's a win in itself. So to go on the Olympia was no pressure to me at all. In my mind, it's just another day on a stage, but at the same time walking on, it's, it's already a win. It's like, you you don't lose here. You're at the Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all perception and, and context, right? I mean, there's guys that, you know, obviously once you go your first time, you kind of set a standard of what you want to achieve after that. But at least that first experience, it's like, just take every moment in. I wanted to, I wanted to do everything like the meet and greet, the gala, like anything that was involved with Olympia. Like I'm yeah. going to that. I want to take in this whole experience because it, it might only be your only one. So there wasn't a single negative out of, out of any of that. <laughs> and um, walking out onto that Olympia stage uh, was, it, it's such a grand experience. Um, I just remember this, like, it was like this bright white stage and lights and there's just like crowd that's just kind of darkened out, but it just seems like for that moment, the whole world is revolving around you, you walking on the stage. You're like, wow. Like it makes you truly feel like you're the best in the world. Yeah. And it gives me goosebumps just talking about it. Cause it, it's such just a, a, like a, this euphoric enlightened moment in bodybuilding. <laughs> um, yeah. Just uh phenomenal phenomenal to go out there so um and then then i got fourth which yeah. was <laughs> yeah. way better uh you know there was some talk like hey he might be a contender but i was it's my first olympia so they weren't a you know in the in the pre-judging poll a lot of your normal guys that that are stand out and i was in that second call out i think once i stood next to everyone and getting moved around they're like okay you know he's uh he, he actually might be better than what we thought. And then in, uh, fi- in finals, yeah, man, it was a big surprise because, you know, they, they pull all the other guys off stage. You're left there as their top five. You're like, like oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm in the top five. This is, in, this is incredible. So, yeah. Um, yeah phenomenal. And, then, and then what was it like to – now now 2020 definitely went a different way compared to fourth, right? I think that yeah. was like – you think your – you think your first impression right at the Olympia is fourth. And every single year – at least when you look at bodybuilding, right? Everyone tries to improve upon, especially their Olympia placing. Yeah. Um, was there a, was there a lot of pressure then after that going into that going into that 2020 Olympia? Um, or because uh, I don't think there was much that went wrong according to in into it. But um, you can kind of go into details if you want to here. But describe kind of the challenge of the the 2020, and then also like the mentality coming out of that Olympia too as well. Um, yeah. Like, what was your thoughts when you got that placing and you kind of learn was it like right back to the drawing board or you can kind of go into go sure into yeah i mean at, yeah after 2019 um ex- extremely motivated let's let's get to work right away and um i, I didn't have a lot of room to move up like mm-hmm. in body weight but so some off season could happen but for the most part like i was working with andrew vu at the time it was like hey i don't want your body weight to go too high because i want to be able to easily pull you back down so we kind of limited body weight then um moving into that prep though it, it was a little uncertain because like covid was going on then yeah uh and so the olympia was supposed to be in september we started prep like when we were supposed to start prep we turned that more into like this recomping kind of maintenance phase did somewhat a little mini cut because it got pushed back to december yeah yeah so that changed that somewhat um and so then we really started prep again and I was 18 weeks out, which was fine. Um, timeline was okay. And then as far as like the mental aspect goes, I was confident because I was coming off what I did in this last Olympia. 
Uh, I trusted what we did this past off season. And so it was like, just coming in condition as possible. Like that was, that was it. Um, it wasn't until about eight weeks out where I'm like, I'm behind mm-hmm. for, for what, for my assessment. Right. Um, this was the first time working with, with uh, Vu for bringing, coming on all the way from down for a show. Like he helped me like four weeks out from Chicago. Okay. Um, but I was already a lot of the, well, a lot yeah. of the conditioning aspect was done. Um, he really helped me peak very, very well. That was the aspect I wasn't confident on and why I had brought him in. So he taught me a lot there. Um, but he was having difficulties bringing me down this time. Um, and the timeline kind of slipped away and he's like, just, just trust us. We're going to pull it down and kind of just time kept going and it just wasn't really happening. And I was just, uh, I had more body fat to lose and get to the Olympia knowing this. It's like, I almost didn't do it. Honestly, I was like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to walk out there like this, like this. Cause that's when it, it does feel pretty shitty. And, yep. and even at the Olympia, I knew I didn't have it. I knew it, but I'm like, I, I can't turn away an Olympia. Um, and even getting on stage, like tan was all terrible. And, uh, uh, I still had fat on me that I need to come off. And also there was like some like water manipulation and the, the timing in the morning show, I just didn't get enough food and fluid in. So I was like flat. So I was flat, fat and bad tan. <laughs> it was, and, and that means 13th place at the Olympia. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that mean? 13th, which, Hey, you're still at the Olympia. You still got 13th. It's not, you know, um, but it's not like last year and it was a, a worse look. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was disheartening. Yeah. Um, I, I can, you know, and it, it, it was a week of like, man, kind of you're down, but at the same time, like I, I, I can't take losing in myself not about like other people beating me, but more so like I didn't bring the standard that I wanted. Yeah. Just for me. I don't care, but there's pics out there. Like, I don't care what, you know, judge me however you want. It's so it's fine, but it's just my own standard that I want to bring. And uh, I was like, I have to redeem myself. So I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll do the first show of the year, try to qualify for the Olympia. Then the Olympia might be in December again. And that all way I'll have an off season, all good. I'll prep again. Um, and so I, I took the reins for myself. Um, I felt like, you know, Andrew had given me some good, good tool set for like peaking and, and opened my eyes on a few things. And, but as far as like when to make the calls on pulling down, like I am going to be more meticulous than anyone that I know to coach me yep. uh, with my process. And so that was kind of my, my goal for this first show of Indy. It's like, Hey, I want to be absolutely peeled out of my mind. I'm going to do it all myself. And you were, <laughs> um, peeled, course, and you were peeled and you were peeled. <laughs> absolutely. Like I, that was probably, my, yeah, probably my most conditioned I've ever come in. Um, and your so pre-stage, was, uh, your pre-stage photos were the wacky. Like, I just remember like, lo- like following you going into that and like, like the week out photos that you had were like, I was like mind blown. Like when looking like you just show your back shots and I'm like, there's nothing there. Like there's no, there's no fat there. (laughs) It was nutty, man. Like eat with in the hotel with Renee, like just posing before, like in the mirror. And we're like, what? Like I'm posing and watching like wide eyed, right? Like, whoa, like you, you know, you never seen your body lean. It's like, this is just insanity. I love my look um, at Indy and it's still, man, like the pictures and videos, like, nothing gives justice to that level of detail that you have. Like yeah. when you're that conditioned, cause you just can't capture all of it. So um, yeah, that, no, that was, it was super cool. Super rewarding. Like regardless, like I didn't win the show. Um, I, I felt like I brought a better version of myself and that isn't self was satisfaction enough. You know, yep. this whole past year, 2021, like, man, there was, just a extremely competitive shows. I argue that I'd say this is probably the most competitive Olympia that I've been in. Um, I would, I would say like, cause you can't compare placings as much because 2019 I'd, I'd say they're not to take anyone, anything away from the guys that were there, but it, it wasn't the same lineup that it was for this 2021. Yeah. 
um, you know? And so it ended up being like, a, yeah, a long competitive year for me. Cause you get some points. You're like, man, I can maybe win this next one. And you, then Renee's competing with me. I'm like, well, f- screw it. You're going to be competing. I'll just compete too. <laughs> Eventually I'm qualified. And so we can do the Olympia together, but um, no, it was a, it, it was, it was a, a great year to compete that much and how much I learned in that whole, that whole process. And then to be able to do it all for Olympia, like um, there was one person that was like, John, you can never coach yourself for the Olympia. You know, like someone that, you know, meant, meant, meant a lot to me. It was like, okay, like, Hey, I'm not trying to prove anyone wrong. Yeah. I'm trying to prove any wrong, but it happened. Right. And I was able to like coach my wife at the same time and still do it at a high level. I got ninth. Um, yeah. Which, uh, you know, beating a lot of guys that had beat me the whole year. Um, but I, I brought, I brought a, a great look. I was ex- extremely happy with it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, so with that, I want kind of want to ask you one more question before we kind of end with the last three questions I ask everyone. Um, what's kind of the, what's the biggest challenge for you when it comes down to it now? Like after doing all your preps yourself this past year, what was probably the biggest challenge about actually prepping yourself? Um, saying no. You're like, okay, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> uh, saying no to more work. That's, that yeah. was probably my biggest thing because when you're, you're self-coaching, you're running your own business, multiple businesses, it, it's hard to back off of work yep. to give yourself the time that you need in prep. Um, and that's probably like e- even why I was able to bring such a, fun, a great look and get that condition because I've been able to really manage my other lifestyle variables and have the like rest, the relaxation time to put fully into prep and get to that next level of conditioning because I can manage fatigue so well. Um, it, it really, a lot of it has to come down with, with, with scheduling. And it, it's been hard to say no to clients or to not push up your client roster and bring it down when you know of what's to come on, on prep. Um, even with J3 University coming out, there was times competing where I'm trying to like put out all this content at the same time. Yeah. And you, you kind of miss some of the experience of competing and just enjoying those moments because you're also trying to work too. Yeah. Um, so that's been, I would say, more of the, more of the challenge. Um, it, it would be nice to have kind of that coach-athlete relationship more that I used to have. Like, I, I, I did enjoy that. And it's, uh, it's nice to have someone else to game plan with mm-hmm. that can give you a different perspective. Um, but at the same time, like I'll like, like Luke Miller, he's yep. a J3U educator and coach. So now I, I bounce a lot off him. Yeah. And so I have someone that I trust that's unbiased to give me some insight if I really need it. I'm also um, Chris Tuttle. He's another pro dietitian yep. as well. And uh, I, I've sent him my, my picks a few times or pick his brain a few times because He's also, you know, great eye and, and unbiased and same mindset. So I think it's still important to have some people in your corner that you can reach out to, but in, in the same, you know, thing, it's, I, I could see you guys that have that like really tight coach athlete relationship. And it just looks like really fun, you know, and I knew yeah. it was because when I did it and, and having that, that um, kind of team around you. So you don't quite have that now, but I still do. Like there's Renee here um, and my close friends. So it's, yeah. it's all good, but I would definitely say probably still the time management side. I know you think, oh man, cardio is the hardest thing. It's like, it's not a physical thing. Cause I I've gotten, um, you know, pretty good at managing all the other, you know, yeah. variables. It's uh it's that piece now. Yeah. I always find it's the time. It's always the time piece, right? It's time. not, it's not, it's making, it's making it fit into the schedule. That makes it hard. Um, but First off, before we head into the final three questions, I want to say thank you for coming on the show, number one. Um, it's been great having you. Um, so the first question is uh, what – I'm going to change this up because usually I do a, what three lessons you want people to take away from the episode. I'll do what three what three pieces of advice do you have for up-and-coming bodybuilders or coaches in the industry? Yeah. Um, I'd say, number one, find yourself a good mentor. Um, that would have advanced me so much further along mm-hmm. having someone to just 
take me on the wing and guide me, not try to trust on doing everything myself. I feel like that's more common nowadays. Uh, there's, there's so much education out there, people that'll help and, and be willing to pay for that. You know? Um, oh yeah. I pay a good amount of money for, I pay a good amount of money <laughs> yeah. to get, get mentored by Austin Stout. So yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, you know, a lot of us, we want to try to get everything free, especially if you're like, I get it. We're, you know, I didn't have a lot of money when yeah. I was in, in college, but I know if I wanted it, I, I would have made a point to um, spend money on stupid supplements I didn't need. And so, you know, start off with consuming someone's info on Instagram or YouTube, see someone that you maybe connect with, see where, you know, filter through some bullshit, find people that maybe have a, like a next step of a course or they do a mentorship. And then that kind of leads you into that, that segment. So yeah, I would say like for coming up, find someone that's like a good mentor for you. Um, then also, uh, as, as far as like the business aspect of bodybuilding, um, in social media, a lot of people are just putting out information or, or what they do or whatever, just for likes, um, or trying to get the quick sponsor, don't do that. <laughs> and, and don't settle quick for some type of brand ambassador because it takes you off the market for, for others. Yep. If someone sees that you're already with some company and they give you a protein bucket a week or whatever, you lose that opportunity with someone else. So hold out, hold out, hold out. Um, build up your brand based on the, get the information that you provide and, and serving some others in that way that will create your value by building up that utility and what you're investing with your mentor, then displaying that information for, to help people. And that will build up your stock. Then it will come to you when you've earned it. Don't go out trying to seek it, tag in all these companies and stuff. Um, then as far as the actual competitive role, be patient. Uh, and I know that's, such as, uh, you know, obviously John, duh, but I guarantee <laughs> yeah. when I was, when I was first coming up, I only mindset was my first show. You know, I didn't think about 10 years down the road. So be patient and know, like, you know, this is, this is the long game and to get really good at it. You're going to have to be doing this for, for years on end. So all your decision process should be made around that um, job career. How are you going to fund bodybuilding? You know, that should guide some education courses choices around what you love to do as well finding that passion and purpose and then also health wise you know hey are you gonna smash like a grandma train a week for the rest for 10 years <laughs> no you can't i mean you can but you, that's it that you're done after 10 years yeah <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a, a longevity aspect that you have to be considerate and i think when you have that mindset and being patient you'll 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 see out that in game you won't have those guys like we talked about we're like they had all this potential, but where'd they go? Um, so that you need, you need a, a, a long haul in mind. Yep. Um, and now I'll just give you the floor. You can shout out anything you want. Uh, Instagram, you know, <laughs> education courses, whatever you want to shout out. This is your time to do it. Yeah. If anyone wants to follow me more, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram at John Jewett three. Um, I do have a YouTube that I am getting more active on now. So we're doing, our podcast comes out on there, J3U. Of course, that's on Spotify and, and, and uh, Apple and all that too. But um, I do answer like a QA weekly and also doing some lifestyle stuff with, with Renee and I and our preps and off season. Um, and then outside of that, I'm not doing a lot of more one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching, but you can get full access to me through J3 University, which is my education course. Um, it's a course that takes you through like the one-on-one of everything around pretty much bodybuilding, physique enhancement, not just for males, but for females too. And this isn't just for beginners. I have lots of pros that have gone through it. Kuba Celine, Chris Tuttle, Terrence Ruffin. He's just, he just joined. Uh, so there's like really, really good pros going through it and, and getting great um, gains from it too and, and knowledge um, and just making yourself better and become a better coach. And uh, we're just continuing to develop it and add more educators in. So through that, I have case studies of, of my competitors, myself, then a forum where I'm fully active and answer any of your questions too. Yep. And I can attest to that. I've, I've gone through the course. I've gone through both the course and the applied hypertrophy sections. Um, the applied hypertrophy section has helped me a ton. Um, I, I could say I used the forum too as well. 
Um, that's a great, it's a great place to actually learn a lot. Um, and just doing that. And then your case study, your own, your own videos as well. I watch a lot of your old weekly, your progression videos that you make about your check-ins. Um, <laughs> I find if you're a coach, you can actually see how someone looks at a check-in. You kind of get better. You kind of learn an eye for it as you kind of work through it, but it's even better to see someone who's really advanced in coaching to actually see how they break down things. Um, so yeah, as you guys know, the podcast is teamed up with Morphogen Nutrition. Um, you guys can go get all their supplements, morphogennutrition.com. Uh, use code SPADA for 10% off. Um, I use all their products. They just came out with new Morphocom, so go try it. Uh, yeah, but if you guys like this episode, uh, subscribe to the podcast, number one, if you're new. Um, go leave a five-star rating and review, and most of all, share it on Instagram. That's how it gets out there. Um, so I appreciate it. So thank you, John, for joining me on the show. And Thanks thank you guys me. for listening to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast.